0: Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of It's All Relative, the show where we look at the why behind the what that is familiar side. I'm happy you found this podcast and I really hope you don't regret your choices. Now these topics that we talk about here are not for the faint of heart, neither is my language. Now this is your chance to turn this off and find something happy to listen to. Well, you are still here, so let's begin. The first case we're going to discuss hits this topic of familicide head-on. It is probably one of the most talked about raw and volatile cases in the true crime sphere as of late and that is the Watts family murders. I am Kaylee your host and here we go and just to rile you up here are the runaways. Can't
1: stay at home, can't stay at school.
0: On August 13th, 2018, at about 1.40 in the afternoon, Nicole Adkinson called 911 about her friend, Shanann Watts. Nicole had been unable to contact Shanann all morning and was concerned about her welfare. All County kind of Communications. This is DC. Hi, Stacey.
1: My name is Nicole and I'm calling because I'm concerned about um, a friend of mine. Um, I dropped her off at her house at 2 in the morning last night because we were out of town together and we were on the way back from the airport and and she's pregnant and I haven't been able to get a hold of her this morning and I've gone to her house and her car is there and stuff like that but she won't answer the door, she won't answer phone calls, she won't answer text messages. And I'm just really, really concerned, and she had a doctor's appointment this morning, and she didn't go to it, and I'm just, I don't know what to do. I've called him and talked to him, and he said that she went on a play date with her other two daughters, but, like, if she went on a play date, they're both in car seats. Why would she not take her car? (laughs) Perfectly understandable. Do you happen to know her address, Nicole?
0: Shanann Watts was 34 years old. Her husband, Chris, 33. They lived in the town of Frederick, Colorado and they had been together for about eight years. They had two daughters, Bella, age four, and Cece, also known as Celeste, age three. Shanann was also 15 weeks pregnant with their son, who she had already named Nico. Chris worked for Anadarko Petroleum and spent a lot of time in the field. Shanann worked for a multi-level marketing company called Lavelle selling their health and fitness products known as Thrive. Nicole also worked for Lavelle and was under Shanann in the structure of the company. Both Nicole and Shanann had spent the weekend in Arizona at a convention for Lavelle and had returned Monday morning. Shanann was caught at 1.38 on Monday morning entering her house by the ring camera that was at her front door. This footage is the last known living sighting of her. The morning of august 13th 2018 nicole contacts Shannon to see how she's doing um, ask how her doctor's appointment went because remember Shannon is 15 weeks pregnant with nico and she had a doctor's appointment in the morning to do a baby checkup nicole however gets no response now not replying to a text message is not necessarily cause for concern however what you have to understand about Shanann is that the woman lived her life online. She was surgically attached to her phone. She did sessions on Facebook live constantly. Shanann was always promoting Thrive. She was also promoting her family, but mostly she was promoting Thrive. Not responding to two texts starts to make Nicole a little worried checking Facebook and noticing that there is no activity at all from Shanann is really concerning. In fact, just to be safe, Nicole contacts several of Shanann's other friends to see if they've heard from her and she even gets in contact with Shanann's mother. At this point, Nicole knows no one has heard from Shanann. Quick warning, there are a lot of Nicks, Nickies, and Nicoles in this thing, so pay attention. Nicole and her son Nick pull into the Watts driveway. She even uses the keypad code to open the front door to the Watts home and try to go inside, but she can't because there is a safety latch on the door, which happens to have been put there to keep the girls inside. But she can see Shanann's shoes by the door. Nick climbs on the hood of their car and parks and peeks in the garage. Now the garage has these, actually I've seen this, they have tiny little windows at the top of the garage. So that must've been really fun. But they peek in, in the windows on the top of the garage and can see that there is the one and only car Shanann had available to her. And the kids' car seats are still in the car, which I, again, find amazing they could see because these windows are not big and they're kind of high. Nicole calls Shannon's husband, Chris, to see if he has heard anything from her.
1: And Chris told you that he was on his way? Um, yes i just talked to him well i talked to the earlier. one of our other friends did via text because i was going to the doctor's office and she said he would be here in about 30 minutes and that was at 108 and then i called him and said chris i'm at your house i'm not trying to cause drama or anything i just need to know your wife, okay i was like where are you and he was like i'm on i-70 i'm about a half hour to 45 minutes out and i just said okay and then i hung up and called you guys because that i mean i'm just worried
0: At about 1.40 in the afternoon, Officer Coonrod is dispatched to the Watts home to do a welfare check. Upon arriving, he meets Nicole and her son at the end of the driveway and they give him the basics of what has gone on. Officer Coonrod looks through all of the windows to see if there's anything obviously wrong and sees nothing. Nicole wants to know she can go in But unfortunately, um, since there is no exigent circumstances, so in other words, there's nothing obvious that says something is wrong in this house, meaning that there's no blood on the floor. He doesn't see one of the children lying passed out in the middle of the living room. Nicole does mention that the shoes are there, but flip-flops do not an emergency make. So the officer has to wait until someone authorized to let him in the house. And at this moment, that's Christopher. After waiting for several minutes, Officer Coonrod finally asks Nicole for Christopher's phone number, and he calls. He wants to know if he can have permission to enter the house and would like the door codes. Christopher says the door code on the garage does not work. It has not worked for some time, and he also says that he's about five minutes away. Chris does arrive soon, and he goes into the house through the garage door, leaving everyone else out on the driveway. He's in the house for approximately a minute before he opens the front door. When he opens the front door, he doesn't exactly invite everybody to come in. Not that he's frosty towards them. He just doesn't say come in, which is a problem for Officer Coonrod, who, of course, needs actual permission to go in. Nikki actually voices this question, and what what comes up next is one of my favorite parts of this whole game. Because, you see, Nikki has been on the phone this whole time with Shanann's mother, Sandra. If you listen here, you'll catch it. hear what she says you hear what sandra says nikki i give you permission to go in my daughter's house now granted as a mom i get it but at the same time honey that ain't how that works all is not lost chris opens that door and he gives them permission not only to enter but he tells them to do what they gotta do so officer coonrod gets in the house and he does a search about 23 minutes into this search they find her phone shenan's phone has slid down the back of the sofa it is not only still in the house, it is turned off. Now remember, Shanann lived her life online. She was surgically attached to her phone. And I would also like to add here that people rarely, if ever, turn their phone off. They put it on silent. So if your phone is turned off, there's probably something wrong. Now remember the ring camera on the door? Well, the Wattses are not the only people in the neighborhood that have cameras. The neighbor, Nathan Trinisich, also has a camera on his house, and it covers enough of the area to overflow into the Watts' driveway. Officer Coonrod and Chris go next door to see the video and discover if there's any indication of when Shanann left the house. The video does show Chris early that morning loading up his truck in the driveway. There is, however, nothing else until Nikki shows up to pound on the door at about noon. During the viewing, two things happen. One, the police detective that Officer Coonrod had called for shows up. And two, Nathan Trinisich the neighbor, covertly makes it obvious to the officer that he would like to have a discussion alone. So Chris is sent out to talk with the detective, and Officer Coonrod has this discussion with the neighbor. No. no. was kind of hard to hear so the neighbor says he's not acting right he says he's rocking back and forth and he never loads his stuff in and out of the garage officer crewner makes a statement essentially that we've got to see it from his perspective in other words chris's perspective and that not everybody not everybody reacts to tragedy or stressful circumstances the same way and that it's entirely possible that you know, he's just worried about his his family. Officer Krudrod doesn't necessarily say all of these things specifically, but basically what he's getting at is that you can't judge this man based on, you know, what you think is suspicious behavior. And this will actually come to play a little bit later when um, Nathan Trimisic will recant, or it is alleged that he recanted some statements about Shanann and Chris fighting loudly enough that that he the neighbor could hear it Um, and possibly some other statements alluding to the fact that there that there the Watts's family relationship wasn't that great trying to add credence to his statement that Chris wasn't acting right now Chris not acting right is also something to sort of pay attention to because it is problematic and I will talk about that at a future time but it is a theme that comes up quite a bit in this case And so for now, it needs to be noted. When all is said and done, it is decided that they should do an official search for missing persons on the property. So three officers come back with the paperwork needed for Chris to authorize the search of the house. They spend over an hour doing the search. And what do they find? Well, the first thing they find is the place is neater than a frickin' pin. Officer number one. They are really organized people. Officer number two. Very neat for having two little kids. And if you take the time to watch some of the other videos that Shanann posted online, and they are still online, the house is pretty much that way all of the time. What else do they find? They find all of the medication for Shanann and the girls are still there. There are no sheets on the beds, and there is no water in the toilet in the girls bathroom. One of the officers during the search also becomes really interested in the staircase. He investigates the carpeting on the staircase very closely but doesn't seem to find anything. And my forensic training is screaming watching them do this with no gloves on. Because they have a pregnant woman and two little girls who are missing, the police department decides to put out a critical missing alert. The next day police bring in search and rescue dogs. They also bring in dogs that are trained to scent cadavers. Unfortunately, during the search, they really don't find anything. However, the dogs do alert at Chris's truck. Now, for those of you who have followed this case, you know that the dogs might be actually picking up on the scent of Shanann's decomposing body. However, at this point, we don't know that for sure. And since it wasn't a hard alert, the police are not able to use that to further the warrant and open his truck, or to even say that they know for sure what the dogs alerted at. At this point we know there's still been no sign of Shanann, and in addition to what the neighbor conveyed the previous day officer catherine lines one of the dog handlers writes this in her report okay so first deputy ketch is one of the other officers they're doing the search and i quote deputy ketch explained what would be needed for the dogs to have a successful search she explained the need to collect scent articles while speaking with Chris about appropriate items such as shoes and clothing, she stated the importance of the items not being touched by anyone else. Each time Deputy Ketch asked Chris about specific items, he mentioned he had t- in some way touched them. Upon entry into the home, I immediately noticed a strong odor of cleaning chemicals. The home appeared spotless and the carpet had noticeable vacuum lines. As we walked into the kitchen living room area, I observed that the television was on a sports show end quote so what you're seeing here is in many ways she is just reporting what she sees but at the same time you kind of get the sense that she's reporting these things for the specific purpose of pointing out that she thinks it's kind of odd now while the dogs are doing their search around the property and in the neighborhood the media is at the waz's house and Chris ends up doing an interview with them
1: last question if your wife can see this if she, if she can watch these, what, what would you like to tell your wife and your kids? Shanann, Bella, Celeste, if you're out there, just, just, just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just please bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete with, without anybody here.
0: At this point, they've canvassed the neighborhood. Nobody's seen her. Nobody's heard from Shanann, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, or CBI, and also the FBI have become involved. And by eight o'clock that night, now remember Shanann went missing on the 13th, and this is now the 14th. They have Chris into the police station for an interview. He meets with Graham Coder of the FBI, and he's there for almost two hours. By the end of the interview, this is what Special Agent Coder says. Here's what I would love to have happen. I would love for you and me as a team to, to talk tomorrow,
1: to do a polygraph tomorrow, and move past all of it. Okay, moved past me wondering about Chris.
0: And yes, you did hear that. Chris has agreed to take a polygraph. Chris stays with friends that night. And these friends are named, you guessed it, Nick and Amanda. Next morning, he picks up his dad at the airport because, yes, his dad has flown in from North Carolina to be support for Chris. He picks up his dad and they drive directly to the police station where Chris does take that polygraph. The first voice you're gonna hear next is Agent Tammy Lee of the Colorado Bureau of
1: Investigation. So I brought Graham in here because we wanna to talk to you about the results, okay? Sure. So So um, it is completely clear that you were not on during the testing, and I think you already know that. Um, you did not pass the polygraph test. Okay. Right? okay. So now we need to talk about what actually happened. I feel like you're probably ready to do that.
0: After more than five hours, Chris finally breaks down and asks for his dad. The agents say yes, he can see his dad, but they'd like Chris to tell his dad the truth. Chris tells his dad that Shanann strangled the girls, and when he discovers what happened, he killed her in a rage. Then he didn't know what to do, so he drove their bodies to an oil battery site. He dug a grave for Shanann and put one girl in each oil tank. They do recover four bodies, Cece, Bella, Shanann, and a partially miscarried Nico. Chris says the reason the bedding was missing is that he used it to transport the bodies. Shanann's cause of death was manual strangulation. The girl's cause of death was asphyxiation due to smothering. Chris is, of course, arrested. Chris spends the next couple months in lockup, and sometime in early October, his defense team approaches the DA about a plea deal. At first, D.A. Rourke did not want to entertain any concessions above and beyond removing the death penalty, but when Frank and Sandy Ruzik found out, they told Rourke they wanted to pursue the deal. In order to discuss it fully, D.A. Rourke and Deputy D.A. Steve Wren flew to North Carolina to talk to Shanann's family in person. The following quote is from John Glad's book, The Perfect Father, and I quote, "'Sandy said it very, very poignantly to me,' said Rourke. She said, "'He made the choice to take those lives but I don't want to be in the position to take his." End quote. The plea deal was extended. A sentence hearing was scheduled for 10 a.m., November 19th, 2018. During the hearing, we hear from both families, we hear from both attorneys, and we hear from the judge. Chris is sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for nine counts. These include murder in the first degree for his wife and his daughters, illegally moving a dead body, again for his wife and his daughters, and unlawfully ending the life of a fetus. All of these counts will run consecutively, meaning Watts will serve three life sentences plus 84 years. And if you were paying attention, yes, Chris Watts was sentenced for murdering his girls, even though he told his dad that Shannon had killed them. And that, my dear listeners, is the basis of this case. Now hold on before those of you who are familiar with this case start spluttering, but but you forgot, but, but you didn't mention, I promise you, there's more to come. Because trust me, this case is the deepest, darkest hole that Alice ever fell down after falling through the looking glass. And she hit the Mad Hatter on the way down and squashed him flat. Why you may ask? Well, I think the district attorney said it best when he started with the following.
1: Your Honor, there are no words to adequately describe the unimaginable tragedy that brings us before this court today. By my comments, I'm not even going to try to express the horror, the pain, or the suffering that the defendant has caused to these families, to this community, and to all who are a part of this investigation. However, I do want to spend a few minutes sharing with the court the details of the crime as so far you've only had an opportunity to review the affidavit and a few facts here and there that have been offered to the court in the motions and pleadings that have been filed.
0: That is the District Attorney work from his statement at the sentencing hearing. And yes, you did notice, he said, facts you have only been able to review through paperwork. Remember, this case did not go to trial. Chris Watts confessed. When a case goes to trial, there is an investigation. Now they don't always find everything but they usually do a fairly thorough job of discovering all the details. For our purposes, since Chris confessed, that means the investigators only needed enough for the confession to stick. So in our next episode, we are gonna look deeper into the dynamics of the Watts family, look at each person as much as we can individually. And really at that point, it may leave you spluttering with righteous indignation I say that especially because there is a particular narrative that has become extremely popular in the media about the betrayal of the people in this case. Now, I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that 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 betrayal is incorrect. However, as I previously stated, we don't have all of the information in this case. In order to see why this happened, I need to look at the good, the bad and the ugly. This essentially means I won't be sticking to that narrative. So join me next time as we look further into this case of familicide and realize it's all relative. But i net-net-do, but then